hey, somebody give those guys a memo that we're starting, man, because I don't want to compete with all the people behind me. So somebody can grab those guys. That'd be great. So, hey, uh, talk or go ahead and turn to Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4. I don't know. How many of you, raise your hand if you have a nickname somebody gave you? Maybe I have nicknames here. You know, I grew up in a neighborhood where different guys were given nicknames. I was one of the little kids when I was given my nickname along with my little brother Tommy, Tom. And uh, there were the older guys I'd once in a while play football with. I played football with guys my age and stuff, tackle football at the park and stuff. But every once in a while I'd get to play with the guys that were a few years older than me. I loved it, you know. And uh, we had a great time, but we had uh, nicknames. One guy was Big Monk. His younger brother was Little Monk. Another guy's nickname was Scale. Another guy's nickname was Vain Dog. That was my next door neighbor named Mark next to me. I always wondered, how did they give him that name, you know? Because I came on the scene a little bit later because I was younger. And my, my brother and myself were, I was Big Bo, he was Little Bo. And I, I, and I didn't know why we were called Big Bo and Little Bo. So I asked him a little bit later in life, I'm like, hey, how come you guys call this Big Bo and Little Bo? Because when you were kids, you know, it looked like your parents put a bowl on your head and we just said Bo for short when you got your hair cut, you know. So nicknames can say something about who you are or what you look like or your character uh, at times, often. Well, I want to talk about a man who had the nickname Barnabas. Yeah, he is an awesome man of God. And one of the things I like to do from time to time is I like to look at the life of Paul or, you know, the life of Peter, you know. John and Barnabas is it's really awesome to look at his life because he's given as a portrait of what it means to be a servant of the Lord and he had a very interesting name his nickname well we'll read about it in the text Acts chapter 4 verse 32 and the congregation of those who believed were of one heart and soul and of and not one of them claimed that anything belonging to him was his own but all things were common property to them. This wasn't communism. This was voluntary in the church. It was communism. Not communism, but communism. They had all things in common. They shared with one another. They were family. They looked at themselves as a family of God. And we ought to look at ourselves, those who are truly born again and truly seeking Jesus and are united in the faith under biblical doctrine. We're all part of one big family. Verse 33. And with great power, the apostles were giving testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And abundant grace was upon them all, for there was not a needy person among them. Wow. For all who were owners of land or houses would sell them and bring them the proceeds to the, of the sales and lay them at the apostles' feet. And they would be distributed to each other to the extent that any had need. So uh, they often would see the needs in the church. And there was, keep in mind, at this time, there had been the day of Pentecost where the early church had really got ramped up. Jesus said to tarry in Jerusalem after he rose from the dead and he, uh, before he ascended, he gathered his apostles together and told them to tarry or wait in Jerusalem till the power, until they were endued with power from on high the Holy Spirit to come upon them and would empower the church. Well, that was on the day of Pentecost, which was a feast day of the harvest, which was perfect because when the Holy Spirit came upon them, the fat feast day was a picture of the harvest of souls and all kinds of people were saved, 3,000 in one day. And people had traveled from all over, not only just Israel, but outside of Israel, different regions of the world, Jews for that day. And many of them got saved. Look at it, just right after that, the gospel was preached again and thousands more get saved. So all of a sudden you have thousands and thousands of people saved and many of them finding who the Messiah was, their whole lives transformed. So a lot of them didn't move back to wherever they were. They figured, hey, we're back in Israel. We're going to call Jerusalem our home for now. So you had all kinds of believers there that were trying to start their new life, not only in Christ, but they were trying to make ends meet. So you had a lot of poverty and there was such, such excitement and unity among the brothers and sisters and love for what God was doing that they were selling their homes, selling if they had lands, they would sell them at times sharing with the church, you know, sharing with one another. And it was a beautiful thing that was going on. So it's important to understand the context there. And it's important for us to understand that when uh, there's needs and we can meet them, we need to seek the Lord and say, hey, is it your... Sometimes it is his desire to use us. Sometimes it's not, you know. But we need to pray and be open to the Lord. But what's interesting is verse 36. Now, now Joseph, a Levite of Cyprian birth, he was from Cyprus, 
who was also called Barnabas by the apostles, which translated means what? The scriptures tell us what his nickname was. He was called Barnabas by the apostles. The apostles named this guy Son of Encouragement, which translated means Son of Encouragement. Now guess what? There are all kinds of encouraging folks that you read about in the scriptures in the New Testament, you know, in the church. So this guy must have really stuck out as far as how encouraging he was and what an example he is I've, that, to us because he's given by name. So I've sometimes gone through the scriptures and shared with you as many scriptures as I can find where it says to encourage one another, you know, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Many passages were called to encourage one another. And that means to still courage, to come alongside and encourage and uh, somebody who's sagging or maybe growing weary in the faith to pick them up and encourage them to go forward and not to give up and so forth. And, and Barnabas was a son, was the son of encouragement. And it says of him in that context, verse 37, he owned a tract of land, which is really interesting because the Levites weren't allowed to own land in Israel. But he was born uh, of Cyprian birth, so he probably, oh, and that was like the third biggest island in the Roman Empire, that, or of Rome, I should say, and, or that the Romans held at that time. And, and he had uh, a Cyprian birth, so he probably owned a tract of land there. He sold it. it. says he owned a tract of land, so he, could, he sold it and, bought, and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. So first and foremost, because it, and I just, I thought, Lord, I'm going to find different ways that Barnabas is encouraging and challenge all of us in the name of Jesus to follow his example. And the first thing, that's when the first time you see his name in the book of Acts, we're told his name is Joseph, but his nickname is Barnabas. And we're told that he sold a tract of land. It doesn't say he sold his home. He didn't become necessarily homeless, but he sold a tract of land. He was a rich, richer Jew. And he, with that, with those proceeds, he gave them to the church. Now keep in mind, the church at that time was in what kind of shape? They were hurting because there was a lot of people in need. So he saw a strong, a big need, but he got excited about what the Lord was doing and saving so many of his countrymen and himself knowing who the Messiah was, you know, Jesus Messiah, wanting them to know. And he was just excited to see what God was doing by the Holy Spirit. He recognized that God had chosen the apostles. They were eyewitnesses of the resurrection of Christ. And he becomes a very uh, prominent figure being used by the Lord in the church. So the first, uh, we see his first recorded act of encouragement was actually in giving, okay? He saw the need and he acted. And brothers and sisters, this is very important for us because uh, we have to love not just in word, amen? We have to love in deed, amen? And he's a great example of one. And it's important to love in your words too. But it's, it's even more important to love with your actions. And uh, we read in 1 John chapter 3, verse 18, Little children, let us not love in word only, neither with tongue only, but in deed and truth. Amen? So we need to love in deed and in truth. And in James 2, 14 through 17, when it talks about the characteristics of true faith and faith without works being dead, just as uh, the body without the spirit is dead, and he illustrates what living faith is. And in James chapter 2, verse 14, he says, What use is it, my brothers and sisters? If someone says he has faith, but he has no works, can, the faith, can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed and be filled, yet you do not give them what is necessary for their body, what use is that? In the same way, faith also, if it has no works, is dead being by itself. So it's important that we love one another, not just in our words, but that we are sacrificial, that we are giving. And you may say, yeah, but you know what? I make only so much money and I can't just sell a piece of land. I mean, I can't do that. No, we're not talking about just giving in that way. There's all kinds of different ways that we can give, amen? We all have some time and some talent and some treasure to give, amen? So we can give of our time. I mean, I can't tell you how many people in our fellowship just blow me away of giving of their time, you know? I mean, you know, uh, before uh, this, this service starts and I, I go in and put the finishing touches on my message before I come back out, but beforehand, you know, um, uh, you know, cleaning up dog poop or whatever, which is no big deal. I got to do that anyway, 
you know. But I would do I would do that for you especially, right? But before I before I even get out here, sometimes guess who's here? Is Brian Bean, right? I'm just he shows up at like five thirty, six o'clock. He helps start. Now every, there's all kinds of people doing all kinds of things. Like if I start naming them, I can't name everybody because I'll leave people out. But you see them. People are just here setting up, breaking down. You know, Jonathan's usually right there too, and just you know all these guys coming along and and guess what it's just because they love the lord and you know what when i see these guys you know and the gals whether it's here or sunday and you know joe bowman and his crew is there setting up right breaking down it just is such how many of you are encouraged when you see people serving like that does that encourage you you know that encouraged me so much when i see brothers and sisters just reaching out or when i see brothers and sisters reaching out with children's church you know we haven't been able to have as much as that lately because the whole covid thing you know but through the years you know just ministering uh putting lessons together you know working hard caring about the kids reaching out to them and loving them and when you you see that it's such an encouragement you know sue lee who's now over in idaho you know michael i know that she got a great bond with one of your sons right and then she starts sharing with your son and the you know and your wife the gospel and she opens up her heart and and michael man you might confuse michael with robert severin which is a really good confusion bro because he's a you, you, it's your, not just looks michael reminds me it's so eerie in a good way though uh, it's a beautiful thing but then michael just has a, such a huge heart for jesus and his kids and his wife and it's just a beautiful thing but they got encouraged by sue lee probably right just reaching out to your kid right and now they're encouraging people at work or wherever. And when it's tough, you know, it's tough at times. But you can be an encouragement. And by the way, I think Barnabas, he's not only an encouragement to the poor he's helping, right? I mean, there's been people in this fellowship that have helped people and helped the church so much. And I look at them and I say, man, those folks are, and bless his heart, they're so encouraging. Whether it's time, talent, or treasure. Whether somebody sacrificing their time or using their talent, the gifts that the Lord has given them, spiritually speaking, more than just talent, supernatural gifts, uh, and being utilized by the Lord, or treasure, financially. We couldn't do a ton of things that we're able to do uh, if it wasn't for certain people stepping up, and uh, all kinds of people stepping up as well, giving together, you know? And even the widow's might, the widow could just give that one little might, and Jesus recognized her. He said, see that widow who put that might in? which was worth like hardly anything. But he said, because she gave from her poverty, she gave more than everybody else. So the Lord looks at our hearts. And this man, Barnabas, son of encouragement, is an encouragement to those who get blessed by him. But you know what? He's not just an encouragement to the poor. Number two, he's an encouragement to the, the rich because he's an example to other people that have money. Some people have money, some people don't, somewhere in between. And he's an encouragement to show the other, others that had money, you know, how to be a blessing. On the heels of this chapter is chapter 5, when you have Ananias and Sapphira, right? That ended a little bit differently. They weren't sons or daughters of encouragement. Now, so Barnabas was an encouragement to the poor and those who were in need. Uh, there's also a time where people are in famine later. And the church is in famine. And Agabus has a prophecy about how the church would go through a famine, and it certainly did. And he gathers up money from the churches with Paul to bring the money to Jerusalem to help with the famine relief, you know. So he is not just a guy with money, but he's helping out in certain ways to make sure the church is taken care of. And he's a son of encouragement, a guy that had some wealth, but used it for God's glory. Amen. So he encouraged the poor, number one, but also he's an encouragement to the rich, by being an example. Number three, Barnabas was also, he was an encouragement to the outcast. He was an encouragement to the outcast. You know, can anybody think of the out guy that was an outcast that he might have helped? It's, it's, it's interesting. There was a guy that was a radical outcast. People, a lot of the church, had a, they probably prayed for this guy's salvation because they feared him. His name was Saul because Saul was persecuting the early Christians. Saul was a leading Pharisee under the, under the tutelage of Gamaliel and, he, and Barnabas might have actually been under him as well because he was a Levite. 
Uh, we, Barnabas may have even, according to Tertullian, the early church father, it was Barnabas that wrote the book of Hebrews. Okay? We don't know that because Hebrews is not signed. And m many people say Paul, but Paul says he always puts his name on his letters, so we're not really sure that it would be Paul, although some parts do look like Paul. Some say Luke, some say Apollos. We don't know. I, I do know. I know who wrote Hebrews. I'm, I have no doubt about it. God. Okay? <laughs> he inspired it. Amen? I don't know what human agency he used. He might have used Barnabas, but Barnabas is this awesome man of God. But Paul, after he was dragging Christians out of their homes and having them, trying to get them to renounce Christ as a false Messiah and turn them away from Christ. And remember what happened with Stephen. Stephen, man, filled the Holy Spirit. Acts 7 proclaims Christ. And Paul was leading that deal where they stoned him to death and they took his clothes, Steve, uh, and their clothes, and they put them by Paul because when they were stoning Stephen, the blood would splat and so forth. And Paul oversaw that. And guess what? You have the church fearing Paul. So on the road to Damascus, when the, Paul's going to Damascus, and the Lord appears to him in a bright light that blinds him for three days, there's scales on his eyes, he falls down, and he just, he's like, Lord, you know? Uh, and he, he, knows who he's, he knows who it is. It's kind of interesting. And, and the Lord says to him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? You know? And then he leads him to a man named Ananias, and he has him baptize him, lead him to a full understanding of the gospel, and the scales fall off his eyes, and Paul begins to preach the gospel. And he begins to preach the gospel. Guess who's suspicious of him? The early church, the, the Christians. They don't know if they could trust this guy. They're hearing rumors that this guy's, you know, changed and he's transformed and, and so forth. But they're weary of this guy, Saul of Tarsus, who would later go by his Roman name, Paul. But it wasn't easy. Can you imagine that happening? You might be thinking, okay, he's trying to weasel his way into the church. There's some kind of government scam going on or whatever, the, you, know, uh, the, you know, and so forth. But you know, guess what happened, man? Guess who became the liaison, the encouragement for the one who was considered an outcast and brought him into the church? It was Barnabas. It was Barnabas. In fact, go to Acts chapter 9, verse 19, and we read this. Now for several days he was with the disciples who were in Damascus. And immediately he began to proclaim Jesus. Talk about Paul. He began to proclaim Jesus in the synagogues, saying he is the Son of God. This is the same man who was trying to get people to deny that. All those hearing him continued to be amazed and were saying, is this not the one who was in Jerusalem who destroyed those who called on his, his, his name? So he, he was known as the destroyer of Christians. And had come here for the purpose of bringing them bound before the chief priest. But Saul kept increasing in strength and confounding Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that this Jesus is the Christ. So he was preaching the gospel. But look at verse 23 and through 26. When many days had elapsed, the Jews plotted together to do away with him. But their plot became known to Saul. Saul was Jewish. He's one of the, he wrote half the books of the New Testament. They were also closely watching the gates day and night so that they might put him to death. But his disciples, Paul had disciples, he won to Christ and so forth, took him at night and led him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a large basket. Verse 26. When he came to Jerusalem, he tried repeatedly to associate with the disciples, and yet they were all afraid of him. So Paul was trying to associate with the apostles, with the disciples of the apostles. Yet they were afraid of him as they did not believe he was a disciple. So they thought he was a counterfeit at first. Well, now you can imagine the fear that they had, right? But look what happens in verse 27. But Barnabas, right? You know, we see these but gods. This is like a but God, but God using Barnabas. And Sometimes you say, think there's no way through a trial and what have, have you, and God rises up a Barnabas to help you. Or he just rises up himself to help you. But Barnabas took hold of him, verse 27, and brought him to the apostles 
and described to them how he had seen the Lord on the road and that he had talked to him and how he had spoken out boldly in the name of Jesus at Damascus. By the way, that's, that's a risky thing to do. Remember, Paul was having people destroyed, right? Killed even at times. So he was doing the very thing that could put his life in jeopardy. And Barnabas is saying, I've heard this guy preach. You need to give him a break. He's for real. He's on our team, you know. Verse 28, and he was with them, moving about freely in Jerusalem, speaking out boldly in the name of the Lord. And he was talking and arguing with the Hellenistic Jews, but they were attempting to put him to death. Now when the brothers learned of it, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him away to Tarsus. So he was accepted by the brethren. Verse 31 says, So the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed peace as it was being built up. And, it was, and as it continued in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it kept increasing. By the way, praise God. Brothers and sisters, we want the fear of the Lord, reverence for our God, a genuine holy fear of Him, and the comfort of the Holy Spirit, the paraclete, the comforter who loves us and indwells us as believers and helps us to understand who God is and how He loves us, but we must, we must bow before Him. So it's very interesting what we're reading here. And it's interesting because Barnabas here was, had a heart for the outcast. He was an encouragement not only to the poor and to the rich, but he was an encouragement to the outcast, those who uh, felt they would not be accepted by the church. And this is important because how many of us run into people who, you know, think if they entered into a church, they would catch on fire, you know, uh, that they have no hope, you know. And we need to be sons of encouragement, encouraging others uh, and letting them know that, that the Lord accepts them if they have faith in Christ, if they put their trust in the Lord and what Christ did on the cross, that they can be forgiven and that He, and that he accepts them just as He's accepted us. Amen? Amen? And Barnabas even jeopardized his own reputation because if Saul of Tarsus had been a fake, Barnabas would look pretty bad because he would have vouched for somebody who had some kind of scheme. But he was a wise man. He kept his eyes on Saul and he saw that he was preaching the gospel. He says, hey, he saw the resurrected Christ just as you guys, the apostles did, you know. Uh, he, he's eyewitness of his, because Christ appeared to him. And, and guess what? Was Barnabas right or wrong? I mean, Paul would go on to write about half the letters of the New Testament, Amen. And he himself would be beheaded by Caesar Nero for his faith. And wow, what an awesome man of God he proved uh, to be. And by the way, Barnabas and Paul would end up having a mission, uh, the first mission trip, they'd go off together. And kind of interesting when regarding the first mission trip and then the last one, because that even fits into the whole narrative, which is quite amazing. And we need to encourage one another. And we need to forgive one another. And we need to restore one another. In Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 and 2, that's how we apply this to our lives. Brothers and sisters, even if a person is caught in any wrongdoing, you who are spiritual are to restore such a person in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself, so that you are not tempted as well. Bear one another's burdens and, therefore, and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. And here you see Barnabas reaching out to this man, recognizing that he has a whole mountain of sin against the Lord persecuting his people but he sees a genuine change and sometimes we can sit on the sidelines when we know we can actually help a situation jesus said blessed are the peacemakers right so we want to be peacemakers we want to we want to make sure that we try to help and encourage uh, uh the fellowship of, of brothers and sisters in christ and and i love barnabas because he's a man who he cared for other people he saw what Paul was doing. He cared for the Lord and his kingdom and the church. And he, he realized, wow, this guy, this guy is, God did something in this guy. And wow, I don't know that Barnabas realized what God was going to continue to do through Paul. But wow, you got to see it because you read the book of Acts, the first, you know, nine, ten chapters. It's mostly around Peter's ministry. And after that, you see Peter a little bit for a little bit. And then all of a sudden, it's, it's the apostle Paul and how God uses him up until the last chapter, Acts chapter 28. Number four, Barnabas had a, uh, had a heart 
for the persecuted church. He had a heart for the church that I mentioned already that was in famine. Uh, he had a heart in Acts chapter 11, verse 19 through 24. So then arose, uh, this, it says in verse 19 through 24, so then those who were scattered because of the persecution that occurred in connection with Stephen made their way to Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, speaking the word uh, to no one except the Jews alone. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who came to Antioch and began speaking to the Greeks as well, preaching the good news of the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a large number believed and turned to the Lord. The news of them reached the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas off to Antioch. So Barnabas figures in a lot through the book of Acts. Then when he arrived and witnessed the grace of God, he rejoiced and began to encourage them with resolute heart to remain true to the Lord. Now it's interesting, the church is under persecution now. It's spreading out, and there's a danger of turning away from the Lord. So he's encouraging them to have a resolute heart and to remain true to the Lord. And by the way, I think it's very interesting because here we read Barnabas, son of encouragement, with the word encourage in the same text. So it's saying, and I think this is fascinating because this is a place I thought, wow, of all the places I looked, this is a place where I actually used the word encourage with his name, son of encouragement. And it shows you how he was encouraging them. And he was encouraging them to make sure they had resolute hearts. They were resolved in their hearts. The New Year's coming up and people make all kinds of resolutions, right? Well, this is the main resolution you want to have. He encouraged them to have resolute hearts to what? To remain true to the Lord. And I thought it was interesting because when I was looking at Barnabas, there's a few passages like in Acts 11, Acts 13 and Acts 14. We're looking at Acts 11 right now, but also 13 and 14, which I was always fascinated by because all three passages encourage, it shows the disciples encouraging the church to continue in the faith, to not fall away, to remain true. But what was fascinating to me this time, and I've always liked how those three texts go together because it's a model for me as a pastor, us as a church, of how the early church encouraged one another to continue in the faith, which you don't hear a lot today, by the way. It's very rare, rare that you even hear messages like that because of the whole, you know, once saved, always saved, and you know, all that stuff. But the early church was constantly, just like Jesus, telling them that, you know, that you have to keep your hand to the plow, right? Remember Lot's wife, right? You know, be ready when I return. You'll be cut in pieces, thrown. There's all these warnings that Jesus gave. He that endures the end will be saved, you know. On and on and on, he gave these warnings about continuing. And I thought, isn't it interesting in Acts 11, Acts 13, Acts 14, we see that the leaders of the early church were constantly telling the, the church to continue in the faith. But what I found fascinating this time around, I realized, wow, Barnabas is part of the focal point of that message. And he's a son of encouragement. And his encouragements come in the form of warnings to abide in the faith and continue. Remain true to the Lord because of the blessing that's in that and in the end, right? Being with the Lord forever, right? So it's quite fascinating because again, go ahead and read verse 23. Then when he arrived and witnessed the grace of God, saw God had saved these folks, he rejoiced and began to encourage them all with resolute heart to remain true to the Lord. The English Standard Version says, he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. The NIV says, he encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with their hearts, with all their hearts. So along those lines, he wasn't only encouraging the persecuted church, but number five, he was encouraging the believers to remain faithful to Christ. In fact, look at Acts chapter 13, verse 43, one of the texts I just alluded to. And we see in chapter 13, verse 43, that Paul and Barnabas were encouraging the disciples, right? To remain steadfast to the Lord again, other disciples. Verse 43 says, Paul and Barnabas, who were speaking to them and urging them to what? Urging them to continue in the grace of God. Urging them to continue in the grace of God. Galatians chapter 5, verse 4, 3 and 4 warns that you can be cut off from Christ and fall away from grace. Okay? 
You can turn your back on the Lord. You can deny Him. He says, if we disown Him, He will disown us. So they're encouraged. And it's interesting. It says, Paul and who? Barnabas. Who were speaking to them and urging them to continue in the grace of God. The grace of God is something that you can continue in or not continue in. But you need to continue in it. Acts chapter 14, the next chapter, verses 19 through 22. We read, But Jews came to Antioch and Iconium, and having won over the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city. So they're stoning him to death, practically. They're trying to kill him. And dragged him out of the city, thinking that he was dead. But while the disciples stood around him, he got up and entered the city. Wow, this guy just can't stop him, right? The next day he left with Barnabas for Derby. Wow. Nice to have a Barnabas around when you've been almost stoned to death, right? <laughs> you probably need some encouragement. You're probably dragging a little bit, right? And Barnabas is encouraging him. Verse 21 through 22. And after they had preached the gospel to that city and had made a good number of disciples, they returned to Lystra, to Iconium, and to Antioch. Look, look at verse 22 now. What were they doing? Paul and Barnabas. Strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to what? Continue in the faith. Now there again, we see the word encouragement with Barnabas' name. And I just think it's fascinating. It's the first time I realized this during my present study. As, as I just was reading through the text, I'm like, wow, Lord, the way you point out that he encouraged people the most was by encouraging them not to give up, not to give in, not to, not to turn back to Sodom, not to leave off the plow, take their hands off the plow, amen? Not to quit the race of life, to continue until they were crowned with the crown of life, amen? He encouraged them, he encouraged them, he encouraged them. And brothers and sisters, this message is being a Barnabas. We need to be Barnabases, amen? So we need to be encouraging our brothers and sisters in the faith. And when brothers and sisters are struggling, when they are tempted to give in to sin, we need to step up and say, hey, bro, hey, sister, don't do that. Don't go that route. Continue in the grace of God. Look what Jesus has done for you. The kingdom of God, you know, is, is before us, you know. And continue to hold fast and be faithful to him, amen? Because he died for you and he rose again. And God's, the Lord God says, be faithful to, unto death and I will give you what? The crown of life. And I just think it's interesting because it's in this text, in verse 22, it says, strengthening the souls of the disciples and encouraging them what? Encouraging them to, to continue in the faith. Now notice when you encourage someone, that means you're encouraging, you're giving them courage. The English word speaks of, you're, you're basically giving them courage by your words, by your example, you know, by your deeds, whatever the context may be. And earlier we read that Barnabas and Paul were strengthening the disciples, right? Telling them to continue in the grace of God. So you strengthen others by your words. You, brothers and sisters, if we would just realize how important our words are when we encourage one another, we would do it far more. Your words, when you encourage your brother or sister to be steadfast, telling them that you love them and that Jesus loves them and, and that you're an example to them and that you're there for them. That's just such a powerful thing. And don't, don't despise, as the Bible says in Job, uh, you know, uh, the day of small things. It may seem small to you, even your words may seem small, but they could be so encouraging to other people. So it's, incur it's important that you encourage your brothers and sisters. You may have brothers and sisters right now that you know a brother or sister who's not walking. But the book of Jude says to snatch them out of the fire. Galatians 6, we already read, restore them in a spirit of gentleness, amen? Watching yourself so you're not tempted too. James 5, 19 and 20 says, Brethren, if any of you turn from the truth and one converts him back, he'll save a soul from death and hide a multitude of sins, amen? That means the Lord wants to use you as an instrument of his saving grace by you sharing the gospel with someone who's fallen, saying you need to put your trust in Jesus again. You know, you need to, you need to, so you want to encourage people not to fall, but if someone has fallen, you want to encourage them to come back. That's huge because we're ministers of reconciliation. And oftentimes when we talk about being ministers, as the scriptures say, you are and I am, we're all ministers of reconciliation. And oftentimes when we talk about that, we think of it in a sense of winning the lost to Christ. Amen? And that's true. But guess what? It's also winning the backslidden back 
to Christ. Amen? Amen. Helping them to be reconciled again to the Lord, those who've turned their back on him. And letting them know if they refuse to repent, they have a stricter judgment, it says. It's better not to have known the way of righteousness, 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 20 through 22, than after having known it, to turn from the Holy Commandment delivered unto you. It says, if after coming to know Jesus, knowing Jesus, NIV, epigenosis, they turn away. Be better for them not to have known the way of righteousness after having known it to turn away from the Holy Commandment delivered to them because they're like the pig that's been washed and turns back to its wallowing in the mire or the, uh, or the dog who returns to its vomit. It's worse. Jesus says, the one who knew his master's will, master, servant, it's a servant-master relationship and turns from him, gets worse, more stripes, cut in pieces, thrown with the hypocrites and unbelievers better uh, than the one who didn't know the master's will. So it's, that's in Luke chapter 12. These are serious passages. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 26 through 31. If we go on sinning willfully after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful looking for a fire indignation which will devour the adversaries of God. And if they were put under, to death under the witness of two or three witnesses, um, under the testimony of Moses, of how much worse punishment than under the testimony of Moses in the Old Testament, how much worse in the New Testament if they reject the Son of God and the blood of the covenant by which they were sanctified. It's serious stuff when people fall away. And we need to warn each other. Those warnings are given to us in Scripture to encourage us. And I just think it's fascinating that, that Barnabas's ministry, the main element I see through his ministry, you see all these wonderful things he's doing, but one of the main elements is, is encouraging the brethren to continue in the faith. And encouragement doesn't always mean a warm, fuzzy good-sounding encouragement. Oh, you just look so wonderful today. Oh, Jesus must love you, you know. You're going to have a blessed day because, you know, da-da-da. No, so it's not this, you know, <laughs> this Joel Olstein smile and where it's kind of just everything's fake and everything's great, great and, you know, no, man. In fact, look at what he goes on to say in verse 22. Strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying it is through what? Many tribulations that we must enter the kingdom of God. Okay? He didn't say you're going to have your best life now. There's a book by Joel Osteen called Your Best Life Now. He knows He'll say through many tribulations we must what? Enter the kingdom of God. He's warning them. He's encouraging them. He's still encouraging them, coming alongside, encouraging them to not give up, to not throw in the towel, to stand fast to the end of the fight, to fight the good fight, to lay hold on eternal life, to stay in the race to the end. Amen? And I love that about Barnabas because he's got these warnings. Continue in the faith you need to. And it's through much tribulation that we must enter the kingdom of God. He didn't have a soft message. So his, his encouragement wasn't flowery. It would, by the way, keep in mind, this was in times of great persecution. This is in times when leaders in the church and church members like Stephen were losing their heads, you know, were being beheaded and, and crucified, as you'd read later and. In Paul's lifetime, I mean, Nero's garden, Nero killed Paul, Caesar Nero. And he said, you guys want, you guys light of the world? He literally dipped Christians in oil and put them on stakes and lit them on fire and said, look, in his garden, the light of the world. I mean, these were tough times, guys. Okay? And I'm not just talking about, you know, I mean, I'm not just talking about what Paul went through. I'm talking about a lot of the disciples. So they needed that kind of encouragement. We don't know what's going to go down in the nearest future. We know what's going down according to the book of Revelation. We have the big picture. And the, unless God gives you a very clear detail of what's going to happen tomorrow, which he usually doesn't, you just know you need to remain faithful. You need to know that he loves you and that he remains faithful to you, amen? That he's good, he's loving. If you trust him, I mean, he'll never leave you or forsake you, amen? He's there for you. You just keep looking to him. And he works all things together, even the tough things, for the good, for those who love him and are the called according to his purpose. Amen? So I love this. And, and so sometimes encouragement, oftentimes it comes in the context of a warning. But, it's, but, but it's, it's the big picture. Through much tribulation, he warns them, we must what? Enter the kingdom of God. There's the prize. Amen? Jesus is with us now, but we're going to be with him in his kingdom forever. So just hold fast. It's, it's worth it. Amen? It's totally worth it, beyond worth it, you know. And yet sometimes I'll encourage my family members or my brothers and sisters in Christ through messages or just when I'm talking to them. My, my son, my mom was moving into our house 
last week we were excited about it and but prior to that time we we're like okay how are we going to juggle everything and uh work this out we were so excited about it but i was like josiah you know uh what are we going to do here you know because we got two bedrooms in my office so we had a plan i could put a tough shed out there and make that my office or and jojo sounded like he wanted to stay there in the, in the tough shed if we did that and we have my sister kathy's trailer that's the really nice one <laughs> next to the shoddy one we had that one too but they said he could use their trailer too and so we had different turn the you know maybe the garage into office and he could take my office in there we had these different ideas we're praying about and one day i was just like lord i go i'm you know josiah wasn't too you know hip on using the, the trailer uh so we're like you know what why are we going to do this so we're praying about it and i said i threw my arms up I said lord you got to show me a way i don't know how this is going to work out yeah i know there's a way though because we want to honor my mom. We can't wait for her. But I want to make sure I have provision for Josiah. I'm not going to ask him to leave. So we're going to work this out. And you know what? Later that day, Josiah was picking up Abby McFall from uh, the airport. And he was driving. And the series said the fastest way was along the coast to come back to see me by 20 minutes. Josiah says, well, I had, I'm like, really? I could take the coast? He takes the coast. He's telling Abby, I'd love to get a job out here, you know. You know, because he used to, be a waiter and then a manager over at uh, Tokiwa Sushi over in Moore Park. But he's going, you know, by the coast. He goes, you know, you get paid a little better and, and so forth and could even live out here. He drops her off and then he gets a phone call, you know, from Brother in the Church. And before you know it, he's living in this place overlooking Lake Sherwood, wow. you know, 900 square, 1,000 square feet. And it's beautiful. You see the lake out through most of the windows for free for the next nine months. And I'm like, thank you, Jesus, because <laughs> he gets free rent here. So I'm like, wow, you matched that, Lord, but you gave him a nicer place, you know. <laughs> and guess what? The very next week, he not only is in that place, but he has a job as a waiter, you know. A week later, and he didn't have either of those lined up. He's just praying. He said he's praying when he dropped Abby off and praying, Lord, just work it out. But you know what I said to him? I went to visit his place a couple of days after he was in. I said, you know what, Josiah? I said, Paul says that he learned the secret of being content. They could do all things through Christ who strengthens them. But he said he learned how to abound when the Lord blessed him and how to be abased when things were, were tough. I go, so when you go through tough times, and he's gone through some of his own share of tough times. He was in a pretty good trial at the beginning of this year. And he's had, you know, some health issues here and there and stuff like that. But he just goes forward in Jesus. He loves the Lord. And I said, just remember, though, when you aren't in a place where you got nine months free rent or whatever and things get tough, you remember this. Amen. I remember telling my wife a few days ago, I said, hey, baby, I go, remember what Job said to his wife? And by the way, I thought about this. I thought there's not a lot of real good encouragement in the book of Job because his, 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 his friends were called, he called them miserable comforters, right? And I thought, wow, the most encouraging thing, one of the most encouraging lines, at least in all of Job, is actually uttered by Job to his wife. And I didn't say all that to my wife. I just thought about it later. I thought, wow, that's pretty heavy. Because Job said to her, because she's like, curse God and die, you know? That's exactly what Satan wanted, right? That's a lie from the pit. End it all. And it's like, really? And not get through the trial? You know, God, there's light at the end of the tunnel. You know, just keep my faith in Jesus or, or in the Lord, you know, Job could, could say. But you know what he said to her? He said, shall we only take all the good the Lord's given us and not the bad? Because he was so blessed, Right? He was so blessed for so many years. So he said to her, he said, should we, not, should we accept all the good but not any of the bad? You know? And you have to remember that when you're going through trials. Amen? The crazy thing for us as believers, what we would consider bad, God works for the what? Good. So for us, it's a win-win situation. He works the blessings and he works the hardships that we go through to his glory and for our good if we're loving him through it. Amen? Because they make us more like Christ and they... They allow him to finish what the product of making us like Jesus. And it says, when he appears, we don't like know what we're going to be like yet, but, or what he looks like yet in his resurrected form. But it says, but we will be like him. First John chapter 3, Philippians chapter 3, verse 19 through 21 as well, says that our bodies will be fashioned like unto his glorious body. That's a mind blow because when you think about it, man, he ascended. We're going to ascend too and meet him in the air. When the disciples were huddled and afraid of the authorities, Jesus, in his flesh and bone body, scars still there, appears when the doors are locked to them. 
How does that happen? How does he go through the walls? Well, physicists tells us that there's a lot of space in the walls, in matter. You just can't configure your body to go through that space. I guess Jesus could, <laughs> you know? And I, so we're going to have interesting, interesting bodies, you know? And praise God, I mean, the coolest car you could possibly get is nothing compared to the body you're going to get pretty soon if you keep your faith in Jesus. So, uh, so we need to encourage one another with Scripture, with truth, and so we can have perspective. And, and by the way, my wife did not need that. I wasn't, she wasn't discouraged when I shared that verse with her, you know? And Jos- Josiah wasn't either. I just, you know, if you hang around with me, I share Scripture with you. So, and I just like to keep people, everybody, myself included, on our toes to just always be grateful to the Lord for how good He is. Amen? No matter what we're going through, He is so good. Amen? And He's always good. We don't always understand when we go through things, but we understand this. He's always good. He's always on the throne. He's in control. Amen? Number six. Barnabas encouraged sound doctrine. I just have seven, so we're almost done. Barnabas encouraged sound doctrine and biblical church unity. Barnabas encouraged sound doctrine and biblical church unity. In the book of Acts chapter 15, there arose a dispute in the church. And in the early church, which is kind of funny because today sometimes people wonder, can Jews get saved? Can they become Christians? Which is really kind of a funny question because guess what? In the early church, the question was reversed. And really the whole early church was Jewish. The book, the New Testament, every book, except maybe Luke, but probably Luke too, was written by Jewish believers. Jewish Jewish apostles, amen? And the prophets, you know? And it's interesting when you go through the scripture, and in Acts chapter 15, the question arises, you know, what, when Gentiles become believers now, do they have to become Jews? Do they have to keep the Old Testament laws and all these things? And, and you remember before Acts 15, Acts chapter 9, 10, 11, specifically 10 and 11, where God reveals to Peter, who believes Gentiles at that point can't be saved, God saves Cornelius, and he brings Peter to preach the gospel and opens Peter's eyes to what he's doing among the Gentiles, that that was always part of his plan to join Jews and Gentiles together in one body as part of the family of God. Amen. So what's fascinating about this is when you get to 15, there's this dispute, though, as to whether the Gentiles have to keep the law of Moses to be saved. And guess who leads in sound doctrine and church unity by way of encouragement? It's Barnabas along with Paul. And it's interesting, we read in chapter 15, verse 1, Some men came down from Judea and began teaching the brothers, Unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. You can't be saved unless you keep the law of Moses, which we know is a lie. And after Paul and Barnabas had a heated argument and debate with them, now Paul and Barnabas will have a heated argument with each other later. We'll read about. With actually, they'll get a, they'll get a debate, okay? But right now, Paul and Barnabas are having a heated argument with those who believe you have to be circumcised according to the law of Moses to be saved. And the brothers determined that Paul and Barnabas and some others of them should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders concerning this issue. So they went up to Jerusalem to discuss this issue with the apostles and the brethren in Jerusalem because this was a very serious situation in the church. You'll read the book, in the book of Galatians. Remember, the whole book of Galatians is about uh, Judaizers who come in and said, you have to be circumcised to be saved. It's not just Jesus. You need circumcision. You have to keep the law of Moses and so forth. And, and uh, we're not, as Gentile believers, all believers aren't warned that you have to keep the law of Moses. We have to keep now the law of Messiah, who Moses said would come, the, the, the law of Christ. But we don't keep the law of Christ to be saved. We're saved by grace through faith in the gospel. Amen. Amen. But we live out. We, we follow as our dictates as to how to love one another. Uh, the law of Christ. Look at Acts 15, 12. It says, All the people kept silent and they were listening to Barnabas. Catch that? They were listening to Barnabas and Paul as they were relating all the signs and wonders that God had done through them among the Gentiles. And it's interesting that at times you see Barnabas' name before Paul's early on when Paul first joins. Then later on you see Paul's before Barnabas's. And the cool thing about Barnabas, he doesn't care if his name is imagined first, second, or wherever. He's just happy to serve the Lord. Amen? And that's how we all ought to be as believers. Amen? And I'm looking in the distance and 
I can't see a lot of you out there. I can see a lot of silhouettes and stuff. But Lenny, I can see you, man. That light is shining on you like an angel. And Lenny, Lenny's one of those servants through the years. How many of you have seen Lenny just nonstop serving Jesus, serving Jesus, serving Jesus, you know? Rain or snow. Well, not much snow in California, but no, you, get, you get what I mean. You know, he's always there. Uh, so many of you are like that. And it's just a blessing. So here he is standing for the, the truth. And they, you know, James, Peter speaks as well. And James writes a letter and says, hey, you know, uh, it's not through keeping the law of Moses that we're saved, right? And we shouldn't put the burdens on the Gentiles that our forefathers themselves couldn't even keep, he says. Number seven, Barnabas, lastly, number seven, Barnabas encouraged reconciliation. And this is one that you and I and all of us should look at for ourselves as well. We should all be doing all seven of these things I mentioned to one degree or another. Barnabas encouraged reconciliation and this is actually all over the scripture. You have to follow this like a little jigsaw puzzle, but it's easy to put together once you see the puzzle pieces. But it's quite fascinating because there was a guy by the name of John Mark. John Mark was, a, the, was the cousin, according to one of the epistles, of Barnabas. And John Mark was a missionary. But you know, Paul sometimes, when things got really hot, really painful, really tough, like Demas had fors has forsaken me, having loved this present world. He went back to the world system. He committed apostasy. Sometimes people would just leave and not, it's too tough, man. Our lives are threatened. Paul would just keep going forward, man. And Jesus showed Paul the things that he would have to suffer in being his disciple, what he was going to go through. Paul knew it was going to be tough. But guess what? John Mark was with Barnabas, his cousin, and Paul on his first mission trip in the book of Acts. And we read in chapter 12 of Acts, verse 25 and Barnabas and Saul returned when they had fulfilled their mission to Jerusalem taking along with them who John John who was also called Mark okay so John Mark or Mark uh, but guess what John Mark abandoned the Apostle Paul on this mission trip and we read in Acts 13 verse 13 Acts 13 13 now Paul and his companions put out to sea from Paphos and came to Perga of Pamphylia. But John left them and returned to Jerusalem. But John left them and returned to Jerusalem. He's in the middle of a mission trip. It doesn't say, usually if someone leaves, they tell you why he's leaving, you know. But he just, just gets up and goes. And we know it was in the bad sense. How do we know that? Because look at what happens in Acts chapter 15 in Acts chapter 15 Barnabas and Paul are going to go on a mission together but guess who Paul doesn't want to bring with him John Mark because John Mark abandoned us last time he left us he just you know and he felt betrayed he felt like why would we bring John Mark but guess what Barnabas's name means what Son of what? And he's going to bring encouragement to the situation and try to encourage Paul. Let's take him. Let's give him a second chance. Let's have reconciliation. And we read in Acts chapter 15, verse 36. After some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let's return and visit the brothers and sisters in every city in which we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Barnabas wanted to take John, called Mark, along with them also. Verse 38. But Paul was of the opinion that they should not take along, uh, uh, take along with them this man who had what? Who had deserted them in, Pamph in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And it's kind of emphasizing that he was getting out of the work. Miss hey, missions is work, okay? Oh, there can be some good times and we go on mission trips and with our brothers and sisters, we try to have a day off and we try to have times where there's a, a blessings. But man, there's a lot of times where you're, your face is to the stone, you know, you're, you're helping, you're, you're working, you're, you're hurting at times. But it's, when it's done, you're like, praise God, you did it for the kingdom of God. And it's worth it, any of the tribulations that you go through. But uh, he didn't want them to take along John Mark, who had deserted them, right? In verse 39, now it turned into such a sharp disagreement. This is Barnabas and Paul now. It turned into such a sharp disagreement that they separated from one another. And Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and left them 
being entrusted by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he was traveling through Syria and uh, Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Now I find this fascinating. They have this dispute. Now this is a trip, right? Think about this. He's trying to get Paul to accept John Mark. Do you think Paul could have thought about something in his own life? Remember the apostles didn't want to accept him? And who was the one who was the liaison? Who was the son of encouragement that encouraged the apostles to accept Paul? Barnabas, right? And now Barnabas is probably like, this is like deja vu. Now I'm trying to get Paul, brother Paul, to accept John Mark, you know? But Paul, keep in mind, you know, unless you get a vision from the Lord, you're, using, you're doing what's right. That seems right to you by the Holy Spirit as much as you can. And we don't get a special revelation that God spoke to Paul or spoke to Barnabas here. It leaves it at this sharp dispute that goes on. And Barnabas and Paul were close. Two strong personalities. They go their separate ways. And by the way, guess what? They both end up very fruitful in ministry. But guess what happens? Are you guys with me tonight? Yeah. It's pretty cool stuff, right? Yeah. It, gets, it gets cooler. Check this out. Listen to, you can turn there if you want. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 11. It seems that later, uh, the Apostle Paul would come to trust John Mark and realize uh, that Barnabas, the son of encouragement, was right in the end. Perhaps. Maybe he said, well, maybe it needed to happen. I don't know what, his, what, what he would specifically say about, you know, John Mark's development. But in 2 Timothy 4, 11, we read this. Only Luke is with me, Paul says. Now keep in mind, in 2 Timothy, Paul is talking about Demas and others who've, and everybody's forsaken me. He feels forsaken. He was forsaken a lot. He had a lonely ministry time at times. But he says, only Luke is with me. Take along Mark. He says, take along Mark and bring him with you for he is useful to me for service. Isn't that a trip? So later on, he realizes, wow, John Mark's actually useful. And he puts in one of his letters. He's kind of eating crow in a way too. He's saying, hey, bring Mark along. I know he's useful for service because then he realized, wow, that next missionary trip that wasn't with Barnabas, but John Mark was with Barnabas. He realized that John Mark held fast, continued and finished the work. He probably just needed to grow in the Lord, right? Grow up, you know, I don't know how old he was, but he needed to grow up and mature. And it's tough stuff. And, you know, uh, verse, but listen to Colossians 4.10. I love how Barnabas is mentioned and John Mark's mentioned in the epistles. Colossians 4.10, uh, Paul writes, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, sends you his greetings. And also Barnabas, cousin, and also Barnabas is what? Cousin Mark. I wasn't making that up. That's his cousin. And also Barnabas' cousin Mark. About, uh, about whom you received instructions. If he comes to you, what does he say? Welcome him. That's Paul. Welcome him, you know. Because he realized that he had grown. And he realized, I should have given a chance and now I am. Because now I've seen. Just like the apostles were told that Paul had changed, right? And guess who was the the conduit here. Guess who was the man that God was using to bring this reconciliation? Barnabas, son of what? Encouragement. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. Amen. As brothers and sisters in Christ, we need to be peacemakers. Amen. We need to go the extra mile to try to encourage brothers and sisters to forgive each other, to love each other, to minister together. Amen. Not, at the, not, not by closing your eyes and acknowledging wickedness and unrepentant sin and false doctrine because we see in Acts chapter 15, Barnabas is encouraging sound doctrine, amen, and standing against the teachings of the Judaizers for the sake of true biblical church unity. But here we see he, like he was with Paul in the apostles, and here he is with Mark and Paul. He's also the son of encouragement in the, in the, context, of, of, in the context of reconciliation. Brothers and sisters, we've gone, I'm not even going to go through all seven by way of, you know, uh, review. I just want to encourage you. Get the, you can listen to the uh, podcast later. You can grab a CD or whatever when we get back in the building. But I just want to encourage you guys. Let's continue to be an encouragement by sharing our time, our talent, our treasure with one another in the Lord. Amen. Let's continue to encourage one another continuing the faith. Let's encourage uh, one another by reaching out to those who are outcast or those who need to be reconciled, those who are hurting those who are maybe 
maybe weak in the faith at a certain point. Let's be patient, love one another. Amen. Being wise, being prayerful, being watchful, watching our own selves so we too are not tempted and fall away. You know, the Hebrew word for encouragement, there's a couple of them, but one is shazak or kazak. And that's in, used in Hebrews 3.28 when God commissions Moses to speak into Joshua's life to encourage him. And we read, but commission Joshua and encourage him and strengthen him and strengthen him. For he shall go across leading the people and he will give to them as an inheritance the land which you shall see. That word, uh, encourage him and strengthen him. And then we'd see later that Joshua would encourage them, you know, to be steadfast in the Lord. Amen. And it's interesting because the New Testament word, which I think is important, uh, that's translated encouragement at times, is parakaleo. Parakaleo. And it's interesting because if any of you remember the whole name of the Holy Spirit in John chapter 14 through 16, when he's called the comforter or the counselor or the helper, the Greek word is paraklete, which is related to parakaleo. And I think it's very interesting because of what we read about Barnabas and his connection with the Holy Spirit and how it's God's Spirit that used Barnabas and transformed his life. He didn't just come out of the womb that way. He, we don't know what his life was before he was saved. We saw Paul's life before he was saved, but Paul becomes an incredible encouragement as well. You know, you see him growing in that. And guess who mentored him? Barnabas, right? And Barnabas, what was his secret? Well, I think it's interesting because we read a few things about him, and I won't describe all the things he, we, he did because we just did that, most of the things he did. But I want to read one text of Scripture, Acts 11.30, which tells us what his character was like. It says, For he was a good man. Acts 11.24. He was a good man. Deep down in his heart, he wanted to do what's right. He wanted to sincerely glorify the Lord with the way he lived his life. He wanted to magnify his God. Amen. He was a good man, it says, and full of the Holy Spirit and faith. Wow. He was full of the Holy Spirit and faith. I mean, he just, he just obeyed the Lord and went forward and sought to do right. Amen. And when he saw problems, he wanted to be involved in, Lord, use me to whatever degree. He wasn't a busybody. He wasn't a guy that was like, I'm the know-it-all and I'm going to be involved in every circumstance and tell everybody how it ought to be. No, he wasn't like that. He was just always there. Whether it was selling a track of land to help the poor, whether it was helping people accept Paul, the apostles, or accepting or saying, hey, John Mark, I would love to go with... Can you imagine going on a mission trip with the apostle Paul? All the miracles he's doing everything else. But Barnabas is like, you know what? I'll go this way because I want to see God work in John Mark's life. And I believe that's what he wants me to do. He was sacrificial in a lot of ways. He didn't look for the glory. He looked for God and God to get the glory in his life. And he reached out and cared for people. And that's what we ought to be doing. And I just think it's interesting that it says he was filled with faith. That means full of trust in the Lord. How do you grow in your faith? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Amen. The message of the gospel. The word of, the word of Christ. So you stay in the word. You trust him. And you look to him. And you hold fast to him, even as he was encouraging them to continue in the faith and continue the grace of God. But he's also full of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is what? Parakaleo means, para means to come alongside. Okay? Parakaleo means to come alongside and aid and help. To encourage. That's what it's translating, encourage. The paraclete, who Jesus said he wouldn't leave us as orphans, right? But he give us the helper. The Holy Spirit lives in us. Amen? Barnabas was the man he was because he was filled with the Holy Spirit. You saw less of Barnabas and more of the Lord. Are you with me tonight? You saw less of Barnabas. You saw the Lord in him. And it's as we decrease, John the Baptist said, I must decrease and he must increase. It says we just decrease in our lives and we point to Jesus and he increases in our lives that we're able to be more of a blessing to other people because we can't in of ourselves Bless anyone. We can do nothing, Jesus said, apart from him. Amen. But through Christ, we can do all things. So it's imperative that you and I understand that we need more of Jesus. That we want him, less of ourselves, and to be filled with the fullness of Christ and his spirit. So, because the paraclete, the Holy Spirit who lives in us, the fruit of the spirit, Paul says, is what? Love, joy, peace, 
long-suffering, gentleness, godliness, right? Faithfulness, meekness, self-control, all these things. And against such there is no law, Paul says. And these are the things that you see in Barnabas. So it's not you saying, man, Barnabas was this way. That's not how I am. No, guess what? That's how each of us can be. That's why this message is becoming Barnabas. Being a Barnabas. Be a Barnabas. Amen? Be like Barnabas because Barnabas is simply an example of what each of us can be to one degree or another. But guess what? Jesus is our ultimate example. Amen? But sometimes he puts the cookies on the table. He says, hey, look, you think becoming like me is unachievable? Here's a man. Look at Paul. Paul says, follow me and follow my example as I follow Christ. Amen? Paul's another one. Amen? But we see the chinks at Paul's walk at times where he's growing. No one was perfect. No one is perfect. None of us here are perfect. Amen? We all fall short of God's glory. And we don't look to any one man and say, this is who I want to be like. We look to Jesus and say, that's what I want to be like. But we can look at each other and I can see things in each, all kinds of my brothers and sisters and say, I, I want to be more like that, you know? That's a beautiful trait. That's a beautiful uh, thing that I see in this person's life. And we should be able to look at that, each other and show that to each other in our lives as well, amen? But do that. Let your light shine, Jesus said. Jesus said, let your light shine so men could see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven, amen? You don't do them to be seen of men for your own glory. You do good deeds to point to Jesus and his saving gospel and so people could know him. Amen. You shine that light. Amen. So let's be like Barnabas. Let's be like Paul. Let's ultimately be like Jesus. Amen. All right. Let's bow our hearts before the Father. Father God, we love you so much. You are so amazing. You are so good. We praise you, Father, for the riches of your word, Lord. And we thank you for a nice evening, Father. Father. 